0: Welcome to Western Hills Podcast. As we launch today, the final message, I want you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Or open your scripture journals if you have those. While you're starting, I'm going to, while you're finding that, I just wanted to say from my heart how much I appreciate and I've been encouraged. I have received emails and text messages and conversations from so many of you that have encouraged me by saying thank you for the message it's exactly what i needed to hear and you're you're wrestling with something you're in a season of life or you're in a situation you're facing and you're honored or i was honored for you to share that that with me and i just appreciate that encouragement so much cuz it encourages me and it it pours some some encouragement into my tank and to keep going and to keep sharing uh, this kind of message from God's Word. Uh, One of them that I received this week, last week I received, I I shared with you that I was uh, trapped on I-35 early in the morning without air conditioner, going nowhere, and how frustrating that was and how much I needed some joy in my life. Well, this week I received a message from Julie Newman, one of our members, and she sent me a screenshot of a google map with all red you know red on a google map uh is not good it doesn't mean racing it means your standstill of i35 and just saying reminded me of my message last week what she didn't know was i was sitting in the one that she just sent me a picture of again so god's using you to reach me and i appreciate appreciate that but we are looking at what it means to find joy, even joy in our situations, finding contentment in our situations that seems like by our earthly eyes, by eyes that, that we just assess with, by our own nature, shouldn't have no joy and should be joyless. I've said from the very beginning, my thesis statement for this entire series, that as Christians, as followers of Jesus... We should be the most joyous people in the world. And yet oftentimes if you poll somebody that doesn't go into church, doesn't participate in church, doesn't understand what this is like. And this may have been your struggle for a long time. You may have stayed away from the church for a long time because when you thought of church, joy was not a word that came to mind. Um, guilt came to mind. Uh, bitterness came to mind grumpy, stuffy came to mind. But joy wasn't anywhere on your list. And I think as followers of Jesus, one of our struggles is we've got to reclaim this idea, this concept, and I would say this reality that we should be the most joyful people In the world. And only with that perspective, understanding where God is calling us to and providing the power for it, can some of these passages from Paul even make sense. Now, Paul's an an author, and he was also a preacher. And he went around and he preached and created churches, and then he would go back and he would write to these churches, and he would try to encourage them or maybe even correct something. And so what we have in this is a letter And We call it a book of the Bible, but what it is, is it's a letter that Paul wrote back to a church that he loves. And he said some extraordinary things all through this letter. Some things that at first glance you look at and say, well, that sounds like something a preacher would say. It's just not a practical reality. So here we are in what we call chapter 4. Paul didn't write them in chapters. We came along and put them later. But in chapter 4, we have this phrase Beginning in verse 10. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You're indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So what Paul is doing is he's giving a thank you to them. He's getting back to this church. And when he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, what I would remind you is that Paul is in prison he writes these words and says in prison i rejoice and that's the first part where we go okay paul either you're on something or you're on to something and we want some of what you're on to because if you've got something he's going to share it in a second as a secret if there's a secret here then we want to know about it because how can you rejoice if you're in prison? And what's gone on is the prison system was much different than ours. If you were in prison, imprisoned by the state, it was your responsibility and the responsibility of others around you to supply your needs while in prison. So your meals were purchased by your family or friends. And so when Paul says, I rejoiced, and what they did is they were able to send a contribution that was able to pay for some of his, quite frankly, room and board while he is imprisoned. So now he's receiving at least some mild comforts that he'd been denied earlier. And so he says, I rejoice in this. Now, just as we think, well, things are working out for you, Paul, that's why you can rejoice. He gives us this line. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned. Now, you know I encourage you to circle things in your Bible. If you're writing, you've got an app, either highlight that or circle that. Because Paul has learned something here. And what has he learned? In whatever situation I am to be content. Now just, just, just pause on that one for a second. Paul's learned that in whatever situation I am, to be content. Now, parents, don't we want our kids to get this verse? I mean, mean, this is like the ultimate parenting verse. Just be happy with whatever I give you, okay? And don't pitch a fit about it. Paul is saying something extraordinary, and too quickly we roll right past it. I have learned, I have come to a point where I now understand how, in any situation, and again, this is not the writings of a man sitting beside a pool on the Riviera. This is not a man enjoying comfort. This is not a man enjoying luxury. This is a man in prison, perhaps shackled to most of the day to a Roman centurion, in extremely Physically uncomfortable, demanding situation to say, even in that one, I've learned the secret of what it is to be content. Now, if you come here today and you have the perception that the Bible is an old, ancient, dry, dusty book that has no relevance to my world today, you need to pay attention to the next couple of verses because it's going to be like somebody's listening in on you. You may have a Google Home or an Alexa and you have a conversation around that device and it's about something totally random. You're talking about needing new suitcases or something and suddenly in your email pops up emails for suitcases on your Facebook, and you're like, okay, Alexa, I think you're listening. You know, that's the big conspiracy theory now. You're going to think that Paul is pulling an Alexa on you right here because he is going to come so close to understanding what's going on in our minds and the way that we're wired that this looks like it could have been written yesterday. Yesterday. And this is one of the reasons I'm so in love with God's word is because it is so relevant when you see what's going on because the God that created you is the one that helped these scriptures come together and he knows how you're wired. And this one should at least put some proof that, that direction. So Paul says that now that I'm speaking of being, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content And he uses that word very specifically. Now the opposite of content is what? Discontent. If you want to be, discontentment is this idea. And we are so discontent so often. And what Paul understands about himself and understands about me and understands about you is we've got this big thing that we struggle with. And here's what we struggle with. They are our wants. Do you realize that there is a billion-dollar industry trying to have you discontent with what you have so that you will want more? It is everywhere you go. You turn on a TV, you turn on your phone, you turn on a computer, you look at a billboard, you look at a sign. Wherever you go, there is an industry at work cheering around that is spending and investing billions and billions of dollars so that you will be discontent with what you have with the idea that you'll be content if you'll buy whatever they're selling. And it's just ubiquitous. It goes all the way through our culture. And so there is a discontentment with if you've got last year's model and suddenly they come out with next year's model, what happens to last year's model? Well, this is garbage. no. Now, I could still make the same phone calls it did before, but suddenly it doesn't have emoji facial recognition on it anymore. And what happens? We become discontent. You ever, you ever been fine with your car until your neighbor drew up, drove, drives up in a new car? You know that one? You know that it's got the new car smell and yours smells like your car? came across this this week as I was studying this. They have come out with the most expensive SUV in the world. Price tag, 1.9 million dollars. What do you get for 1.9 million dollars? You get an armored vehicle with a start start that can be customized. Well, for 1.9, it should be customized. You can add such customizations as snake and crocodile leather with gold accents. If you would like it to be bullet resistant, then that will cost you $300,000 more. It says, as for the inside, the seats can recline. You know, you would hope that they could recline for $1.49 million. And the automobile includes a coffee maker, champagne flutes, a safe, and a television. Now, I read that. and you know what I thought was? My, my car didn't have a coffee maker. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't like coffee, but my car didn't have a coffee maker. I have no idea why, why you'd even need that. Some of you coffee coffeeaholics, maybe the, you, you're thinking, how, Sign me up. 1.9, not a bad price. But you see how it works? The discontentment kicks in. You're okay with what you have. Until you see something. And seeing something wakes up an appetite in you, and the wants kick in. And so Paul is addressing the wants. And Paul is about to hone in on how we can focus not on our wants, because Paul's gonna say that's a problem, but how we can focus in on Jesus because here's what happens with our wants our wants blind us to what god wants us to be your wants are always going to blind us because there is no end to that appetite once you've awakened that appetite there's not satiating it at some point down the road because you will always have another appetite You remember when your mom, you'd come home and you'd want a snack. Your mom said, don't, you'll ruin your appetite. And you knew that was bogus, right? Because you're like, trust me, I got another one coming right behind it. You know, the appetite's coming. So you're in a battle. We're all in a battle and Paul knows this. Paul's trying to get us to understand that our wants will blind us to what God wants us to be. Moving on. 1 Timothy says this. Paul picks up on this theme in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And if you want to make a note of the scripture and then go back and study it later, let me share it with you. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this. But godliness with contentment, there it is, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and trap And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's some radical statements in our world, isn't it? Hey, if you've got some food and you've got some clothes on your back, Paul says you can be content with that. Pursuing more than that ends up in ruin and destruction. And most of us say, sign me up, I'll take the risk. Paul's saying that is a pursuit towards your death. But contentment, focusing on what God wants you to be, there's joy. And so Paul's going to ask us to be grateful in all things. Have you ever just thought about, you know, I, I've got some food and I've got some clothes. I'm going to be grateful. I just want to be grateful for what I have. Because see, most of us, again, we spend our times outward looking at what we don't have. This is one of the reasons that social media is a big concern. Because so much of social media, and I use social media too, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about social media, but you've got to understand one of the dynamics that's at work with social media is the comparison dynamic. You get on and you see somebody else, some friend that you went to school with, or some friend that you know from work, and their family's prettier, their kids are smarter, and their vacations are, are more expensive. And then you look at your family and you go, how did I get stuck with you? Because the want kicks in. And so maybe some of what we just need to do, and there may be some of you, you have to decide this on your own, you may need to take a break from social media. You may need to step back from it because so much of it, again, is kicking up the wants and the desires. And Paul says, be grateful, be content with the basic things. And if we spent more time not comparing but making a list of what you're grateful for, it'll begin to change that perspective all over. Back to Philippians, verse twelve. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned again. There, there is again. He's he's figured something out. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the verse where Paul says, listen, I can face whatever. I am not going to be controlled by my circumstances. Happiness is always going to be based on your happenings. Paul is saying, but contentment can be a choice. Joy can be a choice. And it's not controlled by what's going on around me. It's controlled by who's at work in me. It's what Paul's telling us. And so he says, the moments that I've enjoyed luxury, I'm content. The moments where I've been hungry, I'm content. The highs, the lows, I can be content because of who is at work in me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me now before you think this is a simple lesson for Paul to learn let me remind you that Paul struggles physically with some ailment that we think may have had to do something with his eyesight and it was deteriorating and perhaps even caused him pain because in another place and if you want to write this one down 2 Corinthians 12 he says he says this and he's talking about his prayer, when he was praying to God to be released and relieved of this ailment, of this affliction. Okay. So 2 Corinthians 12 says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times does that mean once in the morning, once at night, once in the evening. Paul said, okay, I give up. He's talking about seasons of prayer. Paul, that's healed others, is praying for a healing from himself. And he's praying this from God. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Let's come back to that. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You can write this down. Paul's not saying only be grateful, but be full of grace. He's saying, I have prayed and begged that God would take this affliction, whatever it is, away from me. And God comes back with an answer My grace is is sufficient for you and so Paul learns a secret here and he learns that if he can be full of grace then God's power can shine out even greater in him and some of you are walking through a season of life and it is difficult and it's hard and you are praying for it to be to be released from it and perhaps the answer from God you're receiving is my grace is sufficient for you Now, it's the gift, I guarantee you, that nobody wants. Because we want to be released from it. But there's a place for God to be at work in your life. And for you to actually find joy in the middle of the storm that you're facing. When you begin to realize and understand more and more and more fully that what God is doing is He is supplying His grace to you. And sometimes that grace comes in the form of one more day that you were never promised to begin with. And Paul's inviting us to rework our thinking and to set our eyes in a new place and to begin to be grateful for what we have and graceful for what God's doing in us and the work that he's doing through us. And for Paul, it's only going to come from one place and one source. This obsession that he has with the person of Jesus. And so every time Paul feels that struggle and that hardship, he realizes here's one more place where Jesus can shine out brightly. And, and in my ministry, and my career, I've had an incredible number of times and blessings to see some of you walk through some incredibly difficult seasons of life. Seasons of grief and loss and pain and struggle. And in the middle of it, I have been awed to watch some of you say, and yet still will I rejoice and praise my God. And it's humbling to see. And and when I witness it, I know I'm in the presence of somebody that understands what Paul understands to be grateful and to be graceful. So I just want to end with this. This is how my friend Rick actually summed it up, and I I just had to share this with you. You can rejoice in anything when Christ is your everything. You can rejoice in anything, even what you're facing right now, when Christ is your everything. And so it's not about looking out and comparing to what others have. But it's about narrowing your focus to the one that has you firmly in their hands. Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this Western Hills podcast. Please visit our website, westernhillsonline.org, to find out more about us.